Good morning. It's a happy Friday. And uh, last weekend, and then um, I told people it's uh, downhill running from here on out. Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? Well, if I say downhill running, that's good, right? Yeah, I wrote that in the leaders chat. I was like, oh, we just got to make it to the weekend, and then it's all downhill running from there. And then people were saying, uh, uh, downhill is bad, actually. Things go downhill from here. So if, if things go downhill from here, it's bad. But if it's downhill running, it's easier than r- uphill running, right? <laughs> Anyways, I don't know why I'm teaching English when it wasn't even created in America. Um, okay, so to recap yesterday, um, I redefined unity or I clarified unity Uh, um, when we talk about unity in the scriptures uh, it takes on a a different meaning and so unity is not us getting on the same page does that make sense right Uh, uh, you know unity is are we all in agreement are we all on the same page let's stay unified And I said, that's not biblical definition of unity. Unity, biblically speaking, is getting on the same page as your father. Does that make sense? So the father gives a mandate, and it's not, okay, do we agree or not agree? Well, let's come into agreement with each other. And and, uh, um, that's what the sons did, right? So God, uh, uh, God gave a mandate or a blessing through Jacob. Jacob then blessed his son Joseph, and then the sons... uh, 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 came together and said, well, we're not in agreement with that. We're in unity against that. Um, so unity in the church is really about not coming into agreement with one another or trying to get people to come in agreement with us, but really uh, submitting ourselves and coming in, into agreement with the Father's heart. So then the real question should be in your church, in your house church, in your ministry, what is the Father's heart? What is the heart of the Father? What is He conveying through the, the community, through the leaders, through the pastor, uh, um, you know, one of the best things you can do to contribute towards the leadership of the church is to pray for your leaders, right? To desperately pray, Father, I pray for my pastors. Uh, I pray for the pastoral staff. I pray for the board. I pray for the leadership. God, I, I fully submit and trust that you've appointed them for this season over our church and over myself spiritually as spiritual parents. God, would you speak to them? God, would you protect them? God, would you guard their hearts, right? One of the greatest contributions uh, in addition to uh, uh, feedback and, and encouragement and support uh, is simply that. And, and so to trust and to believe and to contend and pray for your leaders that they would get it right. That they would hear from God and then convey. Um, and so this is the biblical definition of unity. Getting on the same page of the Father. Uh, uh, and to pray for your leaders so that they can hear and download what they believe God is leading. So everything that I've shared with you, the vision, the plans... For 2020, I absolutely believe is, is God-given. I absolutely believe that uh, through prayer, through preparation, and, and, and years in the making, that this is what I've uh, uh, downloaded from the Lord. I've, I've uh, shared with the leaders. I've uh, shared with the church. Um, and so now it's, it's your responsibility then to pray, to hear from God, Lord, is this from you? Um, if it is, then I'll come in alignment with your heart, with the Father's heart. Um, and that's where, that's where the... As we close out the whole uh, uh, account of Joseph, that's where it all began. The sons saw that the father had a, a reason and a purpose and blessed Joseph that they weren't in agreement with and then all sorts of strife. Uh, uh, they saw themselves and their lacking rather than uh, uh, maybe the bigger picture. And ultimately we see that 
through Joseph, they were all blessed, and their families were blessed, and their children were blessed, and their grandchildren would be blessed, far beyond measure. But all they could see at that time was, how come he or she is blessed, and how come I'm not? No, you're, you're, you're blessed too, right? And, 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 um, and so we're going to see a little bit of that in chapter 49. It's, it's actually quite fascinating. Uh, I, I wish you know, we could delve into it more and more detail. We're reading chapter 48 today, but 49 is a blessing um, uh, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. <clears throat> okay, Genesis chapter 48, follow me in verse 1. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So now they're all living in Egypt. Uh, Jacob is now sick. Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh Ephraim, with him. When it, was told, when it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you. Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. Uh, which is uh, Bethel, which is where he had the encounter, uh, wrestled the angel in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he had said to him, to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your descendants, and after you have, uh, after you have an everlasting possession. Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came up to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after you, after them shall be yours. They shall be called the names of their brothers and their inheritance. Now as for me, when I come, came from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his brother, Father, uh, they are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his, uh, took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim, uh, with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was a younger and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God, of, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may, the, may my name live on in them, and the names of the fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it, dis- it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, this younger brother shall be greater. Then he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Amen. Is the word of the Lord, and um, uh, in 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 Israel tradition and culture, uh, the right hand symbolizes strength 
and skill. And so the favor of the blessing uh, is given with the right hand. Um, you'll see this theme in the scriptures. We've seen it a handful of times. Uh, um, Joseph was uh, the youngest son uh, before Benjamin was born. Rachel, by the way, passed away in giving birth to Benjamin. Um, and so Benjamin is very much an extension of the life of Rachel, uh, which is why there's such a fondness for Benjamin from both Joseph and from also uh, uh, Jacob. Um, Jacob was the uh, second born. His brother uh, Esau was the first born. Um, and so there seems to be this uh, favoring of the younger uh, over the older. Um, biblically, uh, we see this example. And I think there's a couple ways you can look at that. Um, most scholars um, will, will say that uh, humanity was born or, or God created you know, Adam and Eve or mankind. So in a sense, in, in, in order, uh, they're the firstborn, so to say, right, of, of humans. Uh, and Jesus would be the younger or later, even though he's God, even though he existed. But the physical incarnation of Christ would not come until a much later time. Does that make sense? And so Jesus kind of symbolizes the, the later born uh, uh, God incarnate in the flesh. And so God obviously favors Jesus. Uh, Jesus is uh, Joseph is a Christ type um, um, more than probably any other person in the scriptures uh, the accounts of Joseph's life can be paralleled with symbolically with that of Jesus and so Jesus is the uh, uh, later born in the incarnate flesh uh, God, God incarnate um, and so the favor is on you know Christ the son um, and so we certainly can see that aspect and understand that but, but I also think um, you know, oftentimes we, we speak of Jesus, at least for us, having been born after Jesus, as our elder brother, uh, uh, you know, the, the prodigal son. Um, it's not just about the prodigal son who left, it's also about the elder brother who stayed home, who should have gone out. And, and so the elder brother, the prodigal son story, is the Pharisees, those that are supposedly within the house, right, under the father, following the rules, but the problem with the Pharisees or the older brother is that uh, um, on the outside, it seems like a huge stark contrast. On the outside, you have one son in the prodigal son story where he doesn't care about the father. He wants to live for himself. And so he abandons his home, asks for his inheritance and goes and lives loosely, right? Um, on the outside, it looks like the elder son of, of that narrative of the prodigal son is the good son. Uh, but when you when 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 but but his hand or his heart is exposed, because when the son younger prodigal son comes back and the father gives him grace by his right and all that it belongs to him, the elder son reveals his hand. The elder son reveals his cards. What does he say? He says, "All this time I've been doing all this for you, and you haven't once done this." Boom, exposed. The older son on the outside may look different from the younger son who outright blatantly says, you're dead to me, just give me what I want and I'll leave. But even the older son, all this time has been serving simply for the sake and purpose of receiving. Right, that one day he may receive the, 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 the fat calf or the blessing. So his motive also uh, was, was not pure. Um, and, 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 and when you uh, uh, dig in a little deeper, as the older brother in Jewish culture uh, uh, you know, future head of the house, he should have been the one waiting for the younger brother, 
He should have been the one if he truly saw the father's heart. I see how your heart is grieved. I see how you're waiting for your son. He should have gone out into town and tried to reconcile the relationship between the younger. And so the Pharisees are, are, are indicted or judged in that sense is that they don't do that. They, they're not opening the doors. In fact, they're making it difficult uh, uh, for Gentiles and non-Jews and, and seekers to come. Um, and so um, in a lot of places in scriptures, Jesus is the elder brother. Jesus is the, the greater elder brother. He's the one that uh, left home, left the father's care. Uh, we're the prodigal son. Christ came down and then uh, took, took our debt and our sin and our weight upon himself. And then he restored the relationship. So, so on the other side, you see that Christ is also the elder brother. And in that sense, um, you know, as, as a younger brother, we've been given incredible blessing, incredible favor. Because of Jesus, as the elder brother who went before us and paid the price, as a result, us as the later born or the younger brother, in, in another way in an, or in another nuance, we're also greatly favored. Uh, uh, the birthright and blessing indeed is, is Christ's. Amen? As the firstborn, as, as the only son of God. But Christ willingly, of his own volition, gave up his birthright and blessing, left it, came to earth, died on the cross, uh, uh, a punishment that should have been ours. So, so I think, you know, personally, I think you can see it both ways. Um, that, that we are certainly, as Christ's uh, younger brothers, um, God has indeed favored us through the sacrifices of the older brother. Amen? Um, and so this is, this is a theology or something that I'm beginning to experience as, as I'm really serious in, in, in just the last year. You know, I'm 45 years old and, and, and stuff that happened in my home was when I was 15. So a good 30 years have passed before I'm telling you now at this stage in my life with my family and some of the uh, uh, strife and issues and relational you know, turmoil, I'm beginning to see that to bring healing to me and to my children, there actually needs to be a correlation or connection to healing in my home. I'm only now realizing that, guys. I'm only now, you know, I, I wish I could say, I wish I could, and, and I will one day, you know, a few years or however many years, from hindsight say, man, this is what happened and this is what God did and here are the applications and here's what you need to do. But I'm telling you, I'm only now exploring, I'm only now having conviction that man, I need to get right with my family. You know, I need to get right with my brother. You know, and, and, and so only, only last year was like, yeah, I got to get right with my parents. And as I'm uh, preparing and as I'm preparing my heart and seeking after God and, and, and struggling with some of these areas and, and, and it's hard and I don't want to and emotionally and, and I'm, yeah, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it and I'm trying to get right with my parents and, and, and I feel like God is shoving my, my brother and my sister into my face. He's saying, no, first get right with your brother and sister. Uh, then you can get right with, with me. And, uh, and, and I think that's uh, actually a biblical model. Uh, uh, we come to God to give the offering. And the scriptures tells us that if you have a grievance or if you are uh, 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 in, in a broken relationship or in sin against your brother, then leave the tithe and the offering at the altar. First go get right with your brother. Get right with him. Uh, confess and love. Forgive. Come back and then give the offering. Um, and so that, that would be a biblical model of we're trying to get right with the Father. We're trying to tell Him that we love Him. We're trying to tell Him that, every, you know, that I want to get right with you. But we have no desire whatsoever to love or serve or to get right with our brothers. To God, that's a conflict. To God, for you to say you love Him but you don't love your brothers, 
is a lie. It doesn't register. Right? To say that, God, you're all I care about. To say that, God, I'm giving to you. To say that, God, but I don't care about uh, 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 my brother. I don't care about my sister. I don't care about my community. I don't care about my... Um, it's, it, it just doesn't work. It's, it's a contradiction uh, of the heart of the soul. Um, if we love God, we will certainly love our brothers and sisters. If we want to get right with our parents, our family, so that we can move on forward, I absolutely believe there's a component where we need to get right with our brothers and sisters as well. Amen? That would be the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father, as we're going to close out here in the coming chapters, is that Jacob is so blessed because the brothers have reconciled them. They're all under their roof and under their care. And uh, uh, Jacob is now basically saying, thank you, God. You know, now, now I can... You know, he doesn't say, thank you, God, that you brought me to Egypt. In fact, he didn't even want to go to Egypt. He didn't want to go to the, the riches and the wealth and the land and the property. You know, uh, 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 but he certainly did want his family to come together. And I really believe, um, you know, I don't know where you are in your uh, 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 stage in life. You know, when I was single, honestly, right, single without Christ, my life was falling apart. Single with Christ, man, I'm telling you, I had it together. I had everything together. Uh, I felt like, man, I was like, I was, I was really proud. Uh, uh, <laughs> how do you say this humbly? Um, but I just, I just felt like in Christ, like I had everything, you know, like, like I was very comfortable and, and I felt good about myself and, and I was gentle, I was kind, I was gracious, I was loving, I was, a, I was a good spiritual leader, I was a good spiritual model. Man, like from my... 22 to 31, I, I felt like I was walking on heaven on earth. You know, I was like, man, God, you did a good job. You know, some, some struggles early on, but, you know. And then I got married and started having kids. Man, it's been a struggle ever since. You know, honestly, it's been like, Lord, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with my heart? What is wrong with my thinking? Why am I so selfish? Why am I so proud? Why, why am I so short-tempered? Why? And all these, I'm telling you, man, all these demons that I thought God had killed when, when I turned 22 and I, and I and, you know, prior to 22 in single life, all sorts of vices, all sorts of sins, all sorts of debauchery, all sorts of running away from God. At 22, when I recommitted my life, um, I thought the picture I had and the way I was living, I felt like the Lord came took a sword and, and decapitated all my demons. You know, uh, 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 selfishness, lust, anger. I thought, <laughs> cut it all across. And then uh, until the age of 31, walking uh, uh, like an angel, like, a, like, a, like, a, like, a, like an apostle, like a disciple. Like a, you know, I just, I just felt like I had such anointing. Um, and this is what I learned. The demons... Um, at least in that context that had manifested, um, were cut off. But there were still uh, deeper rooted issues that had never been dealt with. And, and the enemy and Satan were basically just waiting for the next opportune time. And the next opportune time, after seven years of abundance, spiritually speaking, and triumph and victory, was marriage. And then after that, the next opportune time where he would manifest were family. Um, no matter what type of husband or wife you want to be, okay, you have a picture 
and in envisioning, this is the type of husband I'm going to be. This is the type of wife I'm going to be. No matter what type of parent you think you want to be or want to be, I'm going to read this book. I saw this person. I'm going to uh, 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 model after their parenting style. I am telling you now, uh, your default disposition. Okay, what do I mean by default disposition? When it's late at night, when you're tired, when you're on low uh, auto cruise, which happens a lot, by the way, meaning I'm always tired. I'm always like, okay, this is all I got. Your default disposition will be to, in fact, uh, uh, um, operate in the mode that you grew up in for 20 or 30 years. Does that make sense? For all the best, this is how I'm going to do it, and these are the best books, and this is the kind of parent I want to be. Yes, you know, when you're on your A game, yes, right? When I'm on my A game, yes, I do all these things, you know, cook for my kids, clean for my kids, you know, take them to the park, all those when I'm on my A game. But what we don't realize is oftentimes you're not on your A game. Oftentimes you're tired. Oftentimes you're, uh, there's emotional situations, there's circumstances, there's pressure points. And what I'm saying is the easiest thing to do is to go into muscle memory and just do what you know, which is what you grew up in. So, so generally speaking, you're going to do what your parents did. Generally speaking. Right? Um, and that default disposition, behavioral, uh, uh, the, the memories, the images, the smells, the feelings are just, they're just ingrained in you. You grew up 20, 30 years without even knowing. You absorbed it all in. And so, you know, as a single, what I'm saying from experience is you can have it all together when it's just you. You can have it all together when you, you can just you know, cut off the lights and go to bed at 9 p.m. because you gotta wake up early the next morning. Do you hear what I'm saying? Um, but when there are forces, great forces and factors of two years old and children and, and, and you know, family and finances, and um, uh, it's, it's tough. And, um, and so what, what's the takeaway here? You know, I, I once heard someone say, um, Once I get married, then I'll get my finances in order, right? I'm in a little bit of debt now, or, or I, I'm borrowing. And, but, but once I get married, you know, because, because uh, once I get married, there's this magic wand, and all of a sudden I become, a, you know, uh, mature. Then I'll get my finances in order. Uh, I've heard it said. Uh, you know, I, I struggle with lust. I struggle with sin. But, but don't worry. Once I get married, because I'll be having sex every day, I'll never fall into those temptations. <laughs> By the way, you, you won't have sex every day, okay? Let me just pop that bubble right now, okay? It won't even be every week, okay? Anyways, we'll stop that, okay? <laughs> okay? Um, but this idea, right? This, it's like this, this idea, this perception, misconception, that once I get married, everything's going to be okay because I'm going to be a better person and, 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 and all these problems I have are, are because I'm not married. No, absolutely not. Let me tell you factually, if you have problems taking care of your finances and keeping your accounts in order before marriage, you're gonna have problems keeping account and finances in your marriage. If you have problems with lust and pornography before marriage, you're gonna have problems and, and issues with lust and pornography in your marriage. Basically what I'm saying is if you don't deal with your demons and your junk before marriage, there is no magic wand that when you get married all of a sudden it goes away. Right, so the best thing you could do for your marriage right now is to deal and address with these issues and seek healing and, and breakthrough in Christ. That's the best thing you could do for your marriage.
to get all these things in order, to get all these things right before God. Um, what happens in marriage is these issues that are unresolved, though you may hide it in dating, though you may hide it in your honeymoon, though you may hide it in your first couple years of marriage, after you become absolutely comfortable and confident in who you are, these things will just manifest again. The difference is before it only hurt you, right? Now it hurts the people you love and, and your children. And so uh, uh, you absolutely, um, for yourself and your relationship with God, need to get these accounts on, on, on multiple levels and layers in order. Um, and, and, and so uh, we see that. We see uh, uh, issues not dealt with in Jacob's family, uh, a strife between his brother and birth order and birthright and fighting for that. Uh, um, where Jacob took the birthright, left, ran away, there was brokenness, but then God brought healing, right? Uh, and now to Jacob's horror, the very same thing is being played out in his home through his children. Um, and to the point where he lost his son or thought he lost his son. Um, when you look at the whole narrative and accounts of Joseph, um, and this is where I want to close this morning. Uh, you see brokenness, you see strife, you see tears, you see anguish, a lot of it having to do centered around relationships and broken relationships. One, God redeems, as we, as we have seen, God has the power to redeem. God has the power to reconcile and to restore. It's not easy, it's painful. But God is willing and wanting to do that. I think that's the greatest gift for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your future. Uh, your future and your family is very much tied to your past and your family. I, I really believe that. Uh, and, and I'll be venturing out and journeying in that way. And you guys can pray for me and my family and, and how God brings healing there. And I hope very much to bring that testimony to you guys. Um, but also, secondly, that even through your broken family, and I said this, I think, in the first or second day, that God can still use you that it's a process, that it's a journey. So we, we shouldn't get down on ourselves or really negative because, oh, Pisan, you don't know my family. Or, or Pasha, you don't know my dad. Or Pasha, you know, uh, my mom. Or, and and so, so, yeah, I, I don't know, but God knows. And, and when I look at not just Joseph and Jacob's family, but when I look at all the families, uh, all the accounts and scriptures, they pretty much all come from broken homes. And somehow God is able to call one person out of that broken context, bring healing and restoration and encountering for that person favored like Joseph, and then place him back in the family, and then the family gets blessed. Not, not overnight, not, not all at once, but over time. And so if I can encourage you that you guys uh, are a representation, are, are a satellite, are a reflection God's light and love for you, your own, your own life. So the best thing you do is, is, is to live your life for God with all your heart and, and to walk in that blessing and, and your family will see that over time and they'll see that favor. And then the prayer really is that our, our, our parents and our siblings, our closest uh, 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 members of our, of our inner circle would see that impact over time. They know our weaknesses. They know our brokenness. And so when they see the grace of God operating in there, all the more they have the capacity uh, to see the favor and the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads.
as the worship team comes up. Um, in, in the next chapter, 49, uh, Jacob then goes into blessings. Um, and he, uh, uh, some scholars will say that this is the per- first uh, prophetic word given by a man. God has spoken prophetically through prophets and then conveyed. Um, but, but this is, uh, chapter 49 might be the first account in scriptures uh, where someone gives a prophetic uh, utterance or a prophetic word. And he gives it to his sons. Um, and so we'll, we'll close that out uh, tomorrow. Uh, but this morning, let's just pray. Take a moment and uh, let's pray for our families. And uh, let's acknowledge this morning that we're not an isolated individual silo. Right? This independent, isolated, individual silo type thinking in life. Right? Uh, a detachment from our past. Uh, uh, I make my own way. I make my own future. Uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning and minister to you. You're actually a thread in a, in a grand tapestry that, that weaves in and out all throughout uh, uh, from past, present, and future. Uh, uh, you're one part of the story of, of, of multi-generations of families in your life. You might be the one if for such a time as this that God is called to say in this line, in this generation, you know, God calls Abraham out of a vacuum that you would bring favor and blessing to your whole family. And so just begin to ask the Lord, Lord, how and where might you be able to move and minister in me. Lord, I need healing. I need restoration. And God, my family needs healing. And my family needs restoration. I just give him permission. Give him permission. Uh, give him permission to minister and move. God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you whole and completely. So he wants to heal your family. You being the best daughter, the best son in in, in God's house, uh, a child of God, is, is one of the greatest witnesses you can ever give. To succeed, to do well, to have favor, and then to quickly turn around and give worship and credit to God without hesitation. When they see that you've been healed, they're going to wonder how you were healed, and they're going to wonder where you went to get healed. God is, in fact, moving in your family. He is ministering. He's, you don't always see it but he's putting the pieces together. So this morning, let's just give thanks to the Lord uh, through Jesus and through his incredible sacrifice. He brought all families and generations of the past and all families and generations of the future together under one house, under one name, under one Father. 
to spend some time and after a moment of worship.